have been working our way through Daniel, Daniel and we're, we're approaching chapter 4. Um, I have to say that I'm really enjoying this series uh, from a personal uh, basis, from a pastoral basis, from an equipping basis for us as who we are today. And we're going to read uh, Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 18. Kath is going to come and do that for us. That way you don't get tired of my voice. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nation and people of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders of the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. The kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. I was lying in bed. The images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought to me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came to my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar, in the name of my God, and the spirit of holy God is in him. I said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions that I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew like a strong... The tree grew large and strong. Its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in its branches. From, from it, every creature was fed. In the vision I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the mind of an animal, till seven times pass before him. The decision is announced by a messenger. The Holy One declared the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over the, them the lowest of people. This is the dream I had, King, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy God is in you. As they say, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, you look all embarrassed then for a moment. So, um, Nebuchadnezzar has had a second dream. I suggest, looking at the stories, he probably needs to eat less cheese at night. Something is happening in his life. He keeps having these dreams. And um, here we are. This second dream is reiterating something that happened in the first dream, which is that Nebuchadnezzar was told in the first dream that his kingdom, although it was fantastic, 
would come to an end and his descendants wouldn't inherit the kingdom. And here we are again, that this tree is growing and it's going to be chopped down and all sorts of things and things are going to happen. And Belt, um, sorry, Nebuchadnezzar um, has yet to learn the value of worshipping the living God. Okay? So he's still setting himself up as God himself, an eternal kingdom, pitting himself against the living God, and something dreadful is going to happen. But we're not going to look at the dream, because somehow I've managed to get both dreams in my preaching. So I'm trying not to go down the same route as we did last time. Um, and just to let you know that at the end, I'm going to ask you to respond to what I'm preaching. So keep your ears open, let God speak to you, and where God speaks to you, you need to respond. We're going to focus on two verses, and that is verses 8 to 9. At last Daniel came in before me. He was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God. This is a key phrase. In whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told them a dream saying, O oh, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians. Remember, he's been promoted. He's now chief of the magicians and the astrologers and the diviners and the wise men in Nebuchadnezzar's court. Chief of the magicians. Because I know, again, key phrase, that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that there is no mystery too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar has access to hundreds and hundreds of wise men, magicians, astrologers, diviners. He has access to people who have knowledge beyond what uh, most of us could understand. But he chooses to speak to Daniel, and he chooses to speak to him for several reasons. One is, Daniel had done it before. So Nebuchadnezzar knew that Daniel had the gift of dreams and interpretations, and so he trusted what Daniel had to say. Second, he was the chief of the magicians. He was in an important place. Third, most importantly, Nebuchadnezzar recognized that the spirit of the living God was in him. Just let that drop. He recognized that the spirit of the living God was in Daniel. His knowledge and his information and his wisdom and his organizations, organization skills, they were secondary to the fact that the spirit of the living God was in him. And fourthly, Nebuchadnezzar knew that no mystery was too deep for Daniel. And we're going to focus on these um, few verses, because I've got a question. If that's why Nebuchadnezzar chose Daniel to listen to his dream and interpret it, why would anybody choose you or me when they're in their point of deep distress or at their point of most need? Why would they talk to you? Why would they talk to me? And that's the fundamental question that I want to pose this morning. 
If you think about your Christian life, your walk with God, as you think about your friends and relatives and neighbours, workmates, whatever, school friends, here's the question. Why would they choose to talk to you rather than anybody else? Why? When I think of myself, I can't imagine any reason why anybody would want to talk to me about anything. Sometimes I kind of feel I lack wisdom. Sometimes my humor goes too far. Sometimes I've got nothing smart to say, nothing wise. Sometimes I haven't got the time. Sometimes I just don't care. Sometimes I'm too busy. Sometimes I'm distracted. Why would anybody talk to me? Why would they talk to you? Maybe you're, you're really kind and caring and people come to you, they knock on your door and they say, please help me reveal Jesus to me. Does that happen to you very often? It doesn't happen to me very often. But it does happen. So why would people choose to talk to you? Why did Nebuchadnezzar, he saw something in Daniel which was beyond what he needed. He saw that Daniel was filled with the spirit of the living God. What makes us distinctive as Christians? Is it the works we do? No. We don't have no unique, we have no unique or any particular reason that people should talk to us about our good works. Is it because we're kind? Maybe, but probably not. What makes us distinctive out there in the streets of Cockermouth and beyond? Okay, what is it? And we're going to focus on that phrase, filled with the spirit of the living God. Because that's what makes us distinctive. Let's look at Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Well-known passage. He has told you, O man, what is good, but to do justice to love kindness and walk humbly before your God. Three things that we're asked to do. We're asked to be just, act justly, do the right thing at the right time. Not necessarily what I think is the right thing, but what does God say is the right thing? Politics this week has been erupting with the whole thing of, of what one person has said and how it's been interpreted. You know, it's a lifestyle choice. You've heard all that sort of stuff. What does God say we should do? How do we act justly? We should act with kindness, always looking to do good, always looking to bring kind words and actions. This is what Mike is saying. This is what God's asked us to do. And walk humbly, pointing ourselves back to Jesus all the time. I struggle with all those three things. I've, you know, I, I've got my own sense of justice and what's right and wrong, but sometimes it doesn't quite match what's in here. I have difficulty at times being kind to people who I think have made stupid decisions. Now, a Yorkshireman, I don't take fools gladly. It doesn't happen very often. I have even more problem pointing it all back to Jesus because actually I'm quite like 
people saying what a good job we're doing, or I'm doing. This is what Mike is saying, this is what we should be doing. But we don't have a unique position on these things. You know, there's many, many people out in the world who do justice, act just, justly. There's many people that act kindly. There's many people actually deflect the glory away from them to other things. What makes us different? Well, this is what 2 Corinthians 1.22 says. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has, given, has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. That's the crucial difference. God, in his great mercy and wisdom, has established us in Christ and has anointed us and he's put his seal on us which is the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. That's the crucial difference. See, I can do all these things out in the big wide world, but if I haven't got Jesus with me, if I'm not living in the power of the Spirit and following the Spirit, it's really, really hard work. I don't know if you know just how hard it is. How hard it is to act justly. How hard it is to be kind. How hard it is to be humble. But God's put his spirit on us. A rhetorical question, you don't have to put your hands up. Think about it. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you? Have you been being filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you experienced that infilling of God yet again and again and again and again? Today, I mean, you know, I, I struggle with it all the time. I, I kind of start off in the spirit doing things because I ask God and God tells me and I'm getting involved and it doesn't seem to be many steps away before I've walked away from being filled with the spirit and now I'm doing it in my own strength and I'm getting tired and it's hard work and this silly people doing silly things and God, why are they silly? And actually, it's me that's been silly because I've walked away from the infilling of God. I need to come back day after day after day working with kids and young people. With families. You do it, you know, whatever it is you're doing. If you're doing it in your own strength, it's hard work. You need to come, keep coming back and saying, God, fill me with your spirit. Seems to me that Daniel is living even before the Holy Spirit was sent after the ascension. Daniel is living in the power of the Spirit and Nebuchadnezzar recognises it. Let me ask you again, why do people choose to talk to you, come to you for advice or help? Is it because they see the power of the living God living in us through his Spirit? Really important. Luke 4. This is Jesus' great statement of his mission. It's our statement of mission as well. The Spirit of the living God is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering sights to the blind 
to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Listen, Jesus knew that his ministry, he needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit so he could do it. He knew that he had to be anointed. He knew it. Why? Because we've got good news. That's our position. We need the same anointing. We are anointed. We have good news to tell. Really good news. We can, I don't know if you realize this, but you have the authority to set prisoners free because the Spirit of God lives in you. We can give the blind their sight. I would really love to pray for somebody blind and see them see again. But we have the authority to be able to do that. We can speak freedom to the oppressed. You will meet oppressed people every single day of your life. And you're anointed to set them free. Have you thought about that? And we can proclaim that the kingdom has come. Jesus' great mission statement for himself is ours. But to be able to do it, we have to be filled with the power of the living God in his Holy Spirit. We can't do it by ourselves. Without the Holy Spirit, I have no good news. Without the Holy Spirit, I can't set people free. I can't give the sight their, uh, blind their sight. I can't speak freedom to the oppressed. I can't proclaim the kingdom. I need God's anointing in my life. There we go. So, what does that look like and how do we do this? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit of the living God on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis? Well, we can do no better than look through Romans, that wonderful book. But we're going to focus on two chapters, Romans 8, first of all. In verse 2, you can make notes, you can go back to look it up, make sure that I'm not just spouting rubbish. But listen, in Romans 2, sorry, Romans 8, let me just um, get there. I should have got there a moment ago and I didn't. Verse 2. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending the Son in the likeness of his sinful flesh. I'm not in the right verse. Oh, there we go. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. First of all, we have to understand that when the Spirit comes in on us, we're filled with the Spirit, we have a new resurrected life. We are no longer subject to the Spirit of sin and death, we are now, because we've been filled with the Spirit, we have subjects to the Spirit of life. A new law works in us. First of all, we have to be renewed. We have to be restored. We have to be filled. We have to know what the resurrected life of Jesus is like in us. What's that phrase that Paul used? For the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in... Sorry? In me, in you. I'm going to choose somebody, randomly. Jenny, for the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, now dwells in Jenny. Little old Jenny. 
I didn't mean it quite like that. I meant, I didn't. Oh God, please come and forgive me right now. Okay, let me choose myself. Little old me, how's that? Little old you. Me who's insignificant and one amongst thousands and millions. God looked down at Jenny and said, the spirit of the living God is going to be living. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, you think of that, now dwells in Jenny. Look at yourself. Look at each other. Okay, I'm going to say it again. When I get to the end, you tell it to the person next to you. For the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in Hands up if you actually believe that. Brilliant. It's true. <coughs> Absolutely true. It means that no longer am I subject to the uh, law of sin and death. I'm now subject to the power of life. Life. When I visit my friends, I no longer bring sin and death to their door. I bring life. Think of the friend you last saw this week. Just have a think for a minute. I don't know who it was. I'm thinking of... Well, I went, yesterday I went to Lidl. When I went to Lidl yesterday, if I'm not a Christian, I bring sin and death to Lidl. Think about it. Those people that work in Lidl, what am I bringing? But because Christ lives in me, when I'm shopping in little, I bring the life of Christ with me. When you had coffee with your friend, that's what you're bringing. You're bringing his righteousness, his holiness, his mercy, his grace. It's changed. That means when we're talking to them, I can talk to them about being set free from whatever it is that they're set free from. I can pray for them to be healed. I can tell them about Jesus and it has power because the spirit of the living God is in me. Verse 14. Make sure I've got the right verse this time. Verse, verse 13 says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit are sons of God. My identity has changed. When I wasn't a Christian, I was the son of Satan, effectively. I carried all his hallmarks. I did what he told me. He brought me up to sin. He taught me how to do it. He gave me free reign to do whatever I wanted and kept yanking my chains because I was subject to his power. But that's changed. It changed in an instant. I am now the son of the living God. You are the son or the daughter of the living God. And now he's teaching me to be more like him. He's bringing me up to be like Jesus. Whatever Jesus did, he wants me to do. Read the Gospels. Look at what Jesus did. It's amazing. But he wants us to do that. I'm the son of God. I carry his spirit, his guarantee, his imprimatur, 
He's signed, deal, done, finished. I am a son of God. And when I meet my friends, my relations and my workmates, that's who I am. You're no longer, I don't know, a dustbin man. Emptying bins. You're the son of God who happens to visit people, who you can tell people about Jesus. It means that we are being led by the Spirit because the Spirit lives in us and so I can be in the right place at the right time for the right person. Not there by coincidence, by happenstance, by accident. Oh, oh, I just happened to be in the right time at the right place at the right time. Say the right things. No. I'm led by the Spirit. Verse 15. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That's important. If you're a fearful Christian, this verse says, you were not given a spirit of fear, the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. If you're a fearful Christian, you need to read the word of God and know that you've been set free from that fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption, which says, as sons, on whom why we cry, Abba, Father. I'm a son of God. I'm no longer subject to fear or slavery. I'm no longer subject to the powers that used to work in me. I'm now a son of God. It means I'm his child. He's adopted me. That means I'm now his ambassador. And I take his words, his gifts, his actions into everything that I do. Or do I? Listen. I bear the hallmarks of my father and my mother. I carry their DNA. I don't know about you, but... um, I know I'm getting in dangerous territory here. But um, as I'm getting older, I've discovered that some of the things I really hated my dad doing, I find myself doing myself. You ever been there? Words that come out of my mouth. I think, well, that's my dad talking. And I really just, I didn't like it when I was 14, 15, 18, 20. Didn't like it. But somehow, these words come out of my mouth. Actions that I do, things that I do on a regular basis. I think my old man did that and I didn't like it. Why am I doing it? I carry his DNA. He brought me up to be, think the things I think, some of the things, and do some of the things I do. Is that just me? Am I alone in this? No. If I have the Spirit of the living God and I'm adopted by Him, then I should expect to start to be like Jesus and do what he does and say what he says. I should expect to act like he did. I should expect to speak words that I never knew existed but come out of my mouth because I read it and Jesus did it and I'm now son of the living God. Let's look at Romans 14 verse 7. We're now looking at the hows and wheres. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness 
and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Why do people choose to talk to you? Because we're supposed to be righteous. When people look at us, they see that we're right. That means, righteous means I'm right before God, I'm right before myself, and I'm right before you. Righteous. People sniff out others who are not righteous. They know when you're not being righteous. Secondly, I'm supposed to be a peace giver. Peace bringer. And thirdly, I'm meant to be a joy bringer. When people come into contact with me, they're supposed to go away without even realizing it. They've come into contact with the living God and I've given them joy. It doesn't happen very often in my life. Cantankerous old Yorkshireman that I am. Listen, this is what we're supposed to be aiming for. I can't do it by myself. I need the spirit of the living God to make me righteous. To make me a peace giver. To make me a joy bringer. What can we do to stay there? 1 Thessalonians 5 says this. Rejoice. When? Let's say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. When? Rejoice. Where are the exceptions? Sorry, I didn't quite catch that. There aren't any. Pray without ceasing. When should we pray? Always. Give thanks in all circumstances. When should we give thanks? Always. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do you want to know what God's will is in your life? Do you want to know? You know, I I remember as a young man, is it the right thing to get married to Lorraine or not? Should I marry her? Uh, praying about it, 40 years on, it seems it's worked okay. <coughs> but I remember praying about that. How, how many of us have prayed the right house, the right job, the right person, the right whatever? You want to know what God's will for your life is? It's very simple. Rejoice always, pray always, give thanks always, for this is the will of God for you. Seek the kingdom. You know what? Everything else follows on behind it. It doesn't finish there. It says this. Do not quench the spirit. And the theologians have argued for years what does that actually mean. I'm just going to give you a simple thing. Listen, every time I hear God speaking to me, I say no. That's me quenching the spirit in my life. Every time I hear him say, why don't you go and talk to that person over there and tell them God loves them? And I say, no, I'm too busy. Or when he says, why don't you pray for that person? Because are you here? You know, people talk to me uh, a lot. Oh, I've had a really bad this and a really bad that. Oh, I've got this, I've got that. And I hear God saying to me, pray for them. And I don't. You know what I'm doing? Punching the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Don't ever 
listen to God speaking and despise it. But, test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from evil. Do you know what God's will for your life is? <laughs> it's fairly simple. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Listen, don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from evil. Now, if you could do that this week, if I could do that this week, I think it would be revolutionary. Final slide. Coming to the, into land. 1 Timothy 1 verse 7. For God did not give us a... Sorry, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I wonder when your friends come to talk to you and they choose you, do they go away fearful, worried, concerned? Or do they go away because they've met some power and love, some self-control? I wonder when people talk to me, I wonder sometimes they might go away laughing, but have they actually received anything? They might go away thinking what a nice man I am, but have they met with Jesus? They might go away thinking what a complete plonker. But what this verse is telling me is that actually when I'm meeting people, I have the power. God gives me power to talk to them. He gives me the love to care for them. And he gives me the self-control not to go too far or say the wrong things or whatever. So I'm going to ask you the question I asked right at the beginning. Why would anybody choose you to talk to? Why would anybody choose me? This passage in Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar chooses Daniel because he is full of the Holy Spirit full of the spirit of the living God. When your friends meet you, why do they choose to talk to you? Little old you. We're going to respond. I've got some questions for you. I'm going to just go through them. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to sing in a minute. But listen, I want you to ask yourself these questions. And if you, the answer to them any of them you're not sure about, I'd love you to respond this morning. We'll pray for you to be filled with the Spirit, refilled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, wherever it is. We need the Spirit of the living God in us. So here's the questions. You might want to close your eyes and think. You might want to just reflect. Question one. Do you live with a spirit of fear. Is fear the driving force in your life? Second question. Do you give yourself to fleshly impulses rather than listening to the spirit of the living God? 
Are you aware that you're being led by the Spirit on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis? Have you learned to act justly, to be kind, to walk in humbleness? Do you believe that you have, because of the Spirit of God in you, you have the power of God to change people's lives for the better, forever? Do you believe that? Do you bring into your conversations and actions, do you bring righteousness, holiness, mercy, grace? Do you use words wisely? Did you know that you're an ambassador for Jesus? Do you need to be filled with the Spirit again this morning? I do.